Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Jude. The New Testament book of Jude. Jude only has one chapter, so if you find Jude chapter 3, you're definitely in the wrong place. But the book of Jude is the first book right before the book of Revelation. So if you start find the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, the book right before that is the book of Jude. Now, the book of Jude has often been called the corridor that leads to the book of Revelation. It does a lot of prep work. It is a lot of transition, bringing it from the Hebrew Christian church epistles and bringing it to the book of Revelation and the prophecy that is listed in there. Now, we're not going to be covering prophecy. However, we do want to talk about what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. And we want to start at a verse that we find in the book of Jude. The book of Jude and in verse number 24. The book of Jude and verse number 24. If you wouldn't mind, let's look at this verse. Jude, verse number 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Jude? The book of Jude in verse number 24, and notice this phrase speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, to present you faultless, then notice the end of the verse, with exceeding joy. We understand that it's talking about presenting us before God himself, that to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We want to take this phrase, to present you faultless with exceeding joy, to teach a little bit about what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do inside of the life of every Christian. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And again, it has been encouraging to see you answering prayers, to see you working in folks' life, to see you drawing people close. I'm asking that as some people have been getting closer to the Lord, they may not understand the process. How did I get from here from where I was? How is it that God is changing me? Maybe there's a new Christian who says, I don't understand what God is is going to do. I feel like I'm set in my ways. I feel like I'm stuck here. We want to see what God is going to do to bring that person forward and eventually change them to present them faultless before God that Jesus can do it with exceeding joy. Lord, this is such a miraculous, wonderful thing. And we know that this is not the work of man, but instead this is the work of God. And because it is the work of God, it is something so amazing. Uh, I know that my human lips can fail to adequately describe and get it across. 
So the best I know how I'm dependent upon your spirit now for you to illuminate hearts, for you to open up the doors of light, open up the windows so that they could see clearly and that they could be encouraged to see what the end result, what God wants to do within our life. Thank you again and just help us now to be amazed by you once again. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, it is interesting to study the Word of God and to see some of these little innocuous phrases and how they repeat themselves. I want to remind you that if God says it once, it's important. If God repeats himself, then it is definitely important. If it is more than once, twice, three times, then it is definitely something that the Lord is placing emphasis on. And believe it or not, this idea that Jesus is going to present us before God actually appears in at least three different passages. We see this in the book of Jude. We see it repeated again, the concept in the book of Ephesians, and then once again in the book of Colossians. And so if you don't mind, we'd like to do a systematic study. What is a systematic study? It means that we take all the passages dealing with this idea from all of the scriptures and be able to present something that is logical and understandable. Basically, we want to look at all three of these passages that we can get a better understanding of what the Lord Jesus Christ desires to do with our life with the idea that he wants to present us faultless before God with exceeding joy. If you don't mind, let's start with a passage that we're at. And I want to show you, first of all, the person of sanctification. The person of sanctification. Now, Jesus Christ died to forgive us of our sins, and we're thankful to the Lord for that. What do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says that we're all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room would be in agreement of that. No one, I don't think, in this room would say, you know what, that's not for me. I tell you, preacher, I've never sinned. All right? We're in a room full of sinners, without a doubt. Every one of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the miracle of miracles is that what Jesus is able to do is that because of his finished work on the cross, he's able to forgive us of our sins. He's able to wipe the debt clean. And he does it so thoroughly that if you were to look at your record up in heaven, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that what you find is that it's blank. Meaning that you no longer have a record in the annals of of heaven. Meaning that your sins, they're gone. They're wiped away. They're paid for. They're no longer on your account. In fact, the Bible uses this legal term that we are now justified. What does that mean? It means that just as if we were never a sinner. You see, it goes way beyond just as if we had never sinned. God erases our account through the blood of Jesus Christ to make it look like positionally as if we had never been a sinner in the first place. That is complete wipe away. That is complete justification. That's a wonderful thing that up in heaven now positionally, I am considered as if I had never been a sinner Now, that's a big miracle, because if you knew how many sins I committed, you wouldn't want to be my friend anymore. By the way, if we knew all the things that you did, the same thing would happen. You understand? We're all horrible, rotten, awful sinners, every single one of us, without exception. 
Every single one of us. And I knowing my awful sins. That Jesus wiped them away. And not only wiped them away. But up in heaven I am considered. As if I had never been a sinner in the first place. That's amazing. But as the old commercial said. But wait. There's more. You understand. God didn't want to stop there. It's not that he just wants to take our record and wash it away. He actually wants to do a work in our lives. He wants to do something that is called the process of sanctification. And in this process, the purpose of this process is so he could present us before God. And present us before his glory with exceeding joy. Basically, we have the picture that Jesus takes us, puts his hand behind our back, leads us to God and said, God, I want to show you my project. I want to show you my friend. I want to show you what I've been working on. God, I want to present you to my friend. And there we are. And Jesus is showing us off. Can you imagine that? I mean, I'm a sinner, rotten, awful to the core. And he wants to show me before God, the God of glory, and brag on me? How does that work out? Because there's, I'm not able to present myself before God. I have so many failings, so many issues. Well, this is why the process of sanctification is so important. Now, in the Bible, as it describes sanctification, again, that's another legal term. We're using a little bit bigger terms tonight, but I'm trying to... Uh, bring them down and explain them so we could understand what God is doing. The idea of sanctification, if we were to give a quick summary definition of it, is the process of God making us holy. The process of God making us more like him. The process that God, Jesus works in our life so he can present us faultless before God in his glory with exceeding joy. Think about that, that God's, Jesus' goal is to present me, to present you faultless. Now, I know that most of you don't look in the mirror unless you've got some bad pride issues. You don't look in the mirror and go, you know what? That's perfection. Normally, that's not how you look at yourself. When you look at the mirror, you probably see your faults. You might start on the outside, but if you stare long enough, then you start, you know, what else is wrong with me? And you start thinking about all the other junk that's wrong with you. But God's goal is to present me and to present you faultless. You say that's impossible. I agree with you. Let me say it is supernatural, meaning that it is something man cannot do. May I underscore that before I go on? This is not turning over a new leaf. This is making you a new you, something that you cannot do yourself. We understand some people can adjust a little bit. They can make a decision not to sin or not to commit that crime. I'm no longer going to rob banks. I'm no longer going to, you know, we could, some people can modify behavior. That happens for most people. That's very, very difficult, but we're not talking about modifying behavior. We're actually talking about God designing a new me. Even changing the way that I think. Changing the way that I react. 
changing the way that I behave. Some preachers said like this, the process of sanctification is where God makes you into a new creature that when you hit your nail, hit the wrong nail with a hammer, you no longer cuss automatically. You understand, we all have natural tendencies. But God is able to change us so completely that we even respond differently. Does that make sense? That's supernatural. That's making us something, a new creature. And God can do that. Now again, I'm just leading up to this. Now the Bible explains with the idea of sanctification that there are three tenses. In the English language, we have three tenses. We have past tense. We have present tense. And we have future tense. Well, the Bible uses all three of those tenses for the idea of sanctification. For example, we could say the phrase, I have been saved, meaning in the past, I have been saved. In the present, I am being saved. And in the future, I will be saved. All three of those tenses are correct. That God is continually working in our life, dealing with the idea of our relation with sin. Think about this. In the past, there was a point in time in our life where we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. In that point, action of time, the moment that I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, at that period of time, through the future, I am considered up in heaven as if I had never been a sinner. So in the case of in past sanctification, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I'll no longer owe God the price of hell ever again. I have been forgiven of all of my sins. Past, present, future. They've all been washed clean. So in the process of sanctification of the past, I am considered positionally that I am been saved from the penalty of sin. Now, in the future tense, God is going to save us, meaning he, we will be saved. And in that case of sanctification, there will be a time where I'll be saved from the presence of sin. Meaning that one day, I'm going to get a brand new body. That God's going to make me a brand new body. Up in heaven, in the millennial kingdom. And that body will be incapable of sinning. I'll be saved from the power of sin. Oh, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm tired of letting down my Savior over and over to get a brand new body that will no longer be able to sin. One day in the future, I will be saved from the presence of sin. So in the past, I was saved from the penalty of sin. In the future, I'll be saved from the presence of sin. That leaves present tense. And this is what the whole message is about is present tense sanctification. What God is doing for me presently in my relation to sin. Now, I no longer owe God a price. My penalty has been covered. Now, unfortunately, I'm not in my brand new body. I'm still in this awful, nasty, fleshly body that still fails God. One day I'll have a body that will no longer be able to sin against God. I'll be saved from the presence of sin. But currently what God is doing is that he is saving me in the process of sanctification from the power of sin. What that means is that God has made it where I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to sin. 
And he is working in my life to make me more like the Son, Jesus Christ. He is making me holy and perfect. He is working on me. He wants to present me free from the <coughs> power of sin. So with that in mind, just giving a quick explanation of sanctification, we know the present tense, what he is doing. Look back with me in the book of Jude in verse number 24. Let me show you two quick things here that the Lord Jesus Christ is doing actively from the book of Jude, verse number 24. The first thing here with the idea of the person of sanctification is that this person, he's able to keep me from falling. He's able to keep me from falling. Notice with me in verse number 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. That's pretty simple. He's able to keep you from falling. What in the world does that mean? Well, we know that the, process, uh, the idea that of salvation, the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, that was a miracle. He saved you from sin. But with that, he is also able to keep you from falling. Meaning that it is God's job to keep us saved, not our job. If God had left the job to, uh, left to us that we are supposed to keep our salvation, we would have messed that up in a hurry. We would have dropped it. We would have lost it. We would have broke it. Good thing it is not up to us. It is God's job to keep us from falling. It is God's job to make sure that we make it to heaven based off of his promise. Also, we have things of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the earnest of the Holy Spirit. The book of Ephesians covers those things. God gives so many things to explain how he keeps us from losing our salvation. That is a blessing. That is an encouragement. That it is a gift of God and he'll never take it back. Aren't you glad for that? Wouldn't it be horrible to get a birthday present? This is what I want. Oh man, how did you know? Thank you. And then someone say, you know what? I think I want that. I'm going to take it back. I... Wouldn't that be horrible? That was my gift. And you took it back? Well, God will never take back the gift that he gave to us. He gave us the gift of eternal life. And that is full, free, and forever. Eternal life means forever. It doesn't just give it for a week or for a month or for a year. It is yours forever, eternally. So we understand that the first thing with this process of sanctification, the person of sanctification, he is able to keep us from falling. He's going to keep us from losing our salvation. Keeping us saved, making sure we get to heaven is his responsibility, not mine. The second thing that we see here is that he is able to present us faultless. Now, just like he is able to keep us from falling, he is able to present us faultless. Notice again, verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before or the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now think about the fact that Christ Jesus can present us before the creator God. And present us in such a way that no fault can be found in us. Can you imagine that? Someone may come up to me and say, well, what faults do you have? Well, how much time do you have? I mean, it's not hard to find some. By the way, if you say, well, preacher, let me tell you your faults. Well, guess what? I know a lot more than you do. I can tell you even more than you see. All of us have great faults. But to imagine that Jesus is going to present us to God faultless. 
That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. That is how complete Christ's sacrifice on the cross was. We are considered justified. The word fault here carries the idea of blame. And so if we are faultless, that means we're unblameable. Maybe if we could use a different word to kind of get an illustration, uh, without handholds. The idea being unblameables without handholds. Meaning there's not something you could grab a hold and pull back on. Let's say that there is a sin that's glaring in my life. Well, someone could grab a hold and say, nope, this is wrong. Does that make sense? He wants to present me in a way that you can't grab a hold and say, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Can you imagine that? He wants to present me faultless, without handholds, unblameable. Oh, what a wonderful idea. Now, we know that positionally we are sanctified and justified. But God wants to do a work in our life now through his power to present us faultless because of the life that we're living. Now, let me underscore here. I don't believe in what is called sinless perfection. There's not a time in your life that you are going to live while you're still in this body sinless. Because you're a sinner, sinners sin. But God can work on us and change us so we sin less and less and less. He could work on us so that way we respond properly when things happen. We know that we can all manage to respond correctly if we give enough time to respond. Unfortunately, circumstances in life don't work that way. That flat tire, that uh, wrong nail hit with a hammer, that person who, who throws coffee at you at work or whatever things it is. You don't have time to say, wait a second. Let me respond correctly here. Give me a second. I'll give you a response. Our responses are usually instant and quick. God is able to make it. So that way he works in us so much that our responses are correct. Something like hitting your (coughs) the wrong nail and say, you know what? God's still good. Or having someone spill coffee on you as they turn the corner instead of giving them a piece of your mind. Say, you know what? God's still good. It's good. You say, that doesn't sound like me. But you know what? God wants to make it so it is you. He wants to make it so even we respond correctly when things happen. He wants to change us that much. Maybe it's even given us a different vocabulary. A different way of responding things. That's what God wants to do. Now, we're going to talk more about this in just a second. But let me just show from this passage here, why does God want to do this? Why does Christ go through all the effort to work on us? And by the way, I know you. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work for me, too. You are not an instant change. And it's not an overnight change. It would be nice to go to sleep and then wake up the no morning and go, Woohoo! I'm right with God! Everything is great! And just be happy like that. It'd be nice if it was just a flip of the switch. But unfortunately, your first response is when the alarm hits and you try not to throw it against the wall. Right? But it's a process that God wants to work on you. Now, why does he put forth the effort and the hard work to work on me and to work on you? Notice the motive here. 
that he wants to present you faultless before the presence of, uh, of his glory with exceeding joy. Do you know that it pleases God to make us more like him? It pleases Christ to work in our life so we respond properly. It pleases him to do the work. Now, there are some people who enjoy working on vehicles. There are some people who enjoy working with their hands. I'm not one of them. But, you know, <laughs> someone who likes working with their hands, painting, crafts, something like that. They work hard and they can get the engine to run. They can get the carpentry to work right. They can get the painting to do well. And they work with their hands and said, look at the work that I have. Well, Christ is working with us a project and it brings him great joy to work on us. You know what that means? It's not a big deal for God to work on you. Now, <laughs> for someone like me who does not enjoy working on engines or working on this stuff, if I have to go work on my car and I can't send it to a mechanic and I can't send it to one of our lovely church members or something, that's not the thing that I'm looking for to do. Let's bring it to uh, Wisconsin, all right? We got the 24 inches of snow in April. Our first response is not, Woohoo! This is wonderful! But we know it's going to take work. And most of us are like, Oh, I got to go shovel the snow again. And, all right, it's not something we're looking forward to. That is not how God approaches us. It's not the idea, Oh, I have to go work on them. Oh, look at the, the I guess I'm going to have nothing else to do. Has to be done. God wants to work on us. He enjoys working with us. He enjoys changing us and making us a new creature. The Bible gives the illustration in the book of Jeremiah that we're, he's the potter and we're the clay. And that he's molding us and making us and he's working with us and getting the pot to be exactly like he designed it. He enjoys working with us in that manner. He enjoys making us and helping us be the shape and the density and the strength that we ought to be. He likes to work on that potter's wheel to make us the instrument to be useful in his hands. It is not something he dreads doing. He doesn't think about you and say, oh man, what do I do with this? Instead, he says, I'm looking forward to making this a useful vessel. What is his motivation? His joy. He enjoys working on you and me. So with that, as we just introduce this in the book of Jude, let's turn to another passage and let's see more specifically how does he do the work. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 5. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 5. And here we covered, first of all, the person of sanctification. Now I'd like to show you the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification. How is it that he makes us the instrument? How is it that he is molding us and making us? What is this process? Well, in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5, God is giving a comparison to Christ and the church. And he's comparing Christ and the church with the idea of a husband and wife. Now, 
it's talking about how a home is supposed to function. Now, so often when we look at this passage, we usually place emphasis on the husband and wife. And we preach great uh, messages, rightful messages, placing emphasis on the home. That husbands are to love. Women are supposed to respect, submit. Children are supposed to... supposed to obey. Fathers are supposed to love. And by the way, that is a correct emphasis because homes are in danger and we need to place this. But God is also using the reverse. He's showing how a proper home works so we could understand what he is doing in our life as we, the church, are in his hands. Now remember, the definition of a church is not a building. It's the people within the church. And he is doing a process. So notice this in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And notice with me in verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5 starting at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Why? That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. Now again, we usually put our attention on the husband's love. Husbands, your job is to love your wife. And rightfully so. But here, notice this. We almost miss this. What is God trying to do? He wants to present the church, which by the way are the people that are assembled together, the people that he has saved, the people that he's put together. He wants to take the church and he wants to present the church to himself, to God. In what way? Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it, the church, should be holy and without blemish. Oh, what wonderful thing. So notice this. Christ loved the church. He loved it so much that he died and gave himself for it. By the way, just as a reminder, that's how husbands, you're supposed to love your wives. You give yourself for her, even if it costs you everything. Another message, another time. But notice this. And so here he's putting a picture. If you've never heard the message wedding pictures that we preach, we encourage you to go to our archives on our website and listen to it for yourself. But in it, it gives a snapshot from Ephesians chapter 5, almost like wedding pictures of a wedding day, as you would line the people up and take pictures. But these aren't still pictures. They are moving pictures. And in this picture here, you would have the husband and the wife And you would have the husband who is standing behind his wife with his hands lovingly on his wife. He loves her very much. And in this living picture, because it's not a still picture, but it's a living picture, as you watch the picture, something amazing happens. As you look at her, instead of getting older and older and older, she's getting younger and younger. The wrinkles are going away. The blemishes are disappearing. She is looking more radiant, more pure the longer that you look at this picture. Isn't that a wonderful picture? This is what Christ is doing because of the love that he is pouring upon his church. They are becoming more and more sanctified, more and more holy, more and more without blemish. 
And it gives this picture in our mind that you can imagine that an old wrinkled and after a while because the love that God is placing in it is becoming more pure, more radiant, less wrinkled, less blemish, younger. Things aren't sagging. They're more firm. Can you imagine that picture? This is what Because of what Christ and his love is pouring into the church. What is he doing? The process of sanctification. He is working on it. Why? Again, the same idea. I told you three times that he has this picture that he wants to present us before God. This is the second one. He wants to present us before God. Now, that's pretty amazing. So, how is he going to do it? That's a good question. Well, notice with me in verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word. By the word. God uses the word of God to help us from the power of sin. God uses the word of God to cleanse us. He uses the word of God to help us so we could present ourselves to God. How does this work? Well, the Bible speaks about the the Bible uh, the Bible itself. The Bible speaks about the Bible that it's a cleansing water. It washes us clean. It scrubs us clean. That we are washed with his word. Now, what does this mean? Okay, that's nice language. What does it mean? Well, the Bible says that as we learn to obey the Bible, we become more like God. Learn to obey the Bible, we become more in God. This is why something like discipleship is so important. What is discipleship? It is developing the habit of obedience to Christ. That as we start obeying the Bible and start being obedient, even in the small things, God uses our obedience to make us more like him. He uses the word of God. By the way, this is why church is so important. Because what do you get at church? Someone who lovingly opens the Bible and teaches us from the word of God and then encourages us to respond to God's word. And as we respond to God's word, he does something in our life to make us more like him. This is his process. You cannot be a good Christian without God's word. You cannot. Because it is God's word that he uses to make us more like himself. This is how he washes us and scrubs us clean. This is how he presents us faultless. This is how he presents us without having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That he is able to present us holy and without blemish. Is through the precious word of God. This is why we say the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis as a Christian is to be in the word of God for yourself. To be in the Bible more. This is why we challenge such cliches like, well, I read a Bible today. It keeps the devil away. No. Saturate yourself in God's word. Take a bath in it. Could you imagine for the rest of your life taking a wash rag and that's all you got to take cleanse with? No showers. No baths. No swimming pools. You just had to take a wash rag and that was what you had to do every day. Would you feel very clean if that's all the water that you got? All the water that you were allowed to have? 
Now, I don't know about you, but I love long, warm, hot showers. I like showers so scalding hot that you could all just see the flesh starting to get ready to get tenderized. I love it. I like to be in there. I like the water. And the only person who likes it more than me is my other daughter who could be in there for an hour if we had enough hot water, just letting it come off. That's how God wants us to be with his word. He wants to turn on the nozzle and spray us off. The more of God's word we can get, the more that we can obey. By the way, that's the key thing. You could hear God's word. You could have all the water you want, but if you don't use it, it doesn't affect you. As you learn to obey God's word, as you learn to respond to God's word, God uses his word to make us more like himself. We have to have the word of God. And by the way, the word of God will help change us so even our thinking is differently. The Bible says, thy word have hid in thine heart that thou may not sin against me. God says, more the word that you have in your heart, the more that you'll resist sinning against God. God's word will help you, whether it's the idea that he even changes your mind on sin. That's the best idea. Things that I love before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus. It is amazing. Someone who's walked with God for a while. There was a time that they loved and craved these other things. But as they walked with God, their minds changed. And they no longer think the same. Those things no longer have an appeal. They no longer desire those things. By the way, this is why some people look at Christianity and say, Well, that's not for me. I'd have to give up all these things. No, 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 no. You follow after Christ. He'll do the cleansing. He'll change you from the inside out. You just follow after Christ. He will change even the way you think. Some people say, well, I don't want to change the way I think. Well, then he's going to have a hard time presenting you faultless. Let God do his work. And this is where the key is. You have to decide to take the bath. You have to decide to respond to God's word. Now, if you know that he's trying to make you more like Christ, his goal is to present you before God faultless. Why don't you let him do his work? Well, you say, well, he may tell me to do something I don't want to do. Well, can you trust him? Can you trust him? Let God do his work. Again, remember the image of he's the potter and you're the clay. And as long as you stay surrendered, he can make you into the object that he desires to make you. Can you trust him? How can we trust him? By obeying his word. Anticipate doing his word. One of the favorite word pictures I have is from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3, speaking about Samuel, that it said he never let any of God's word hit the ground. And it's an illustration like this, that he had an apple bucket Underneath an apple tree. And he would look forward to catching everything possible. And he didn't let a single one hit the ground. You know, it would really do us well is if we were in a church service such as this. And we anticipated grabbing God's word. Sometimes I amusingly say this. That a lot of times it's like preaching God's word. And it's almost like, whoa, that almost got me. That was close. Woo. Trying to look, oh man, that guy really got it there. Whew, I'm glad it wasn't me. We would do a lot better off by saying, what a God's has for me. I'm anticipating, God, I'm ready for you to give me something so I could obey. God 
presents us faultless before God. What is the process? How does he do this? The process of sanctification is through his word. The more we obey God's word, the more he's going to work in our life and change us from the inside out. For the end purpose that he can present us faultless before God with exceeding joy. There's one more passage that God uses to give this illustration of presenting us before God. And that's found in the book of Colossians. If you're in the book of Ephesians now, just keep turning towards the back. Ephesians, Philippians, and then the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians chapter number 1. The book of Colossians chapter 1. Now we've started off with the person of sanctification. And now we also talked about the process of sanctification. The person of sanctification is Jesus Christ. He's the one that's doing the work, not us. He's doing the work. How does he do the work? The process of sanctification says he uses the word of God to make us. As we respond to God's word, he uses God's word to mold us and to make us and turn us into the person he desires us to be. Then we come to the progress of sanctification. The progress of sanctification. What is God doing with us while we're still on the earth as he makes us? What is he expecting? Well, notice with me in the book of Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to read the passage, then we'll go and give commentary on it. Notice with me Colossians chapter 1 starting at verse number 20. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and, hath, and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God will make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now there's a lot to this passage. Let's just summarize quickly. We see here the progress of sanctification. In verses 20 through 22, we can see that Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross. 
that he may reconcile. That means bringing two parties together in agreement. He could reconcile all things to himself. He has reconciled us. We were once enemies, but he has reconciled us. And now what he wants to do in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Because of his body, he wants to do this. He wants to present us, notice this, holy. This carries the idea of being sanctified. We've covered that. He wants to turn us unblameable, which we just covered. Carry the idea without handholds. He wants to show us without fault, faultless. But notice this, unreprovable. That means that he can't look at us and say, you messed up. You failed. Now, this is key here. What is it that we can fail on? What is it that he has saved us for? Why are we still on this earth in the first place? That's a great question. Some people have the idea that the goal in life is for God to make me perfect so I could sit on a pedestal and everybody admire me. Look at me. Look at me. Everybody, someone touch me quickly. And we get to the idea that God wants to make me a trophy to sit in his trophy case. And then we have the idea that, and we may not say it that way, but we have the idea that God just wants to make me so I can look pretty. He wants to make me so he could present me for God and I could be in his trophy case. But you understand, there is much more of a purpose than that. He did not save you and work on you so you could sit on a trophy case. So you could look inside of a, uh, be in a china cabinet. So you could be in a museum so we could walk by and say, Oh, here is the work of Christ here in 2020. Look at what he has done in this time here. And then go on. So why is he making you a vessel? Why is he working in your life? Why is he working on you? What is the purpose of it? 27, verse 27. To whom God will make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So he says, he wants to show you off, not just to the world, but to the Gentiles. What is he showing off to the Gentiles? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, he has no desire for you to be a trophy on God's trophy stand or in God's china cabinet. He wants you to be on this earth as an example of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Why is this the hope? Because we're sinful wretches, and look at what he's done for me. And those sinful wretches, God could do the same work in them. We are to be the hope. This is why testimonies are so important. Believe it or not, some of you who may know me better will laugh at this. There are some people who look at me and say, you know what? He's never had a bad day in his life. He must have grew up in the greatest Christian home. He must have had a Bible in his hand. He must have had parents who tried to teach him about that. He must have never had a bad job. And so look at him. I mean, that, yeah, I could never do that because look at, let me tell you, if you knew the way I was raised, you say, how in the world is he a preacher? If you understand the things that I've done and the sins that I've done, you say, how in the world, God, God. And you know what this is? It's hope for you that if God can make something as awful and wretched into something that's halfway usable to God, he could do the same thing to you. 
This is why testimonies are so amazing and so important and so necessary. Because they tell the world about the power of God. That it's not just in the future. He can work on us now and give hope to a hopeless world. Do you know how many people are struggling in sin? There are people that said, I wish I could stop sinning, but I don't know how. I keep falling in the same traps and I keep going with the same friends and I keep getting in trouble and I don't know how to get out of it. You have people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol and they say, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't want my life to turn this way, but I can't get out of it. I don't know how. You may have someone who, who may be abused all of their life. They've been beat up. They've been told that they're worthless. And without a change, they're going to continue in life and say, nobody likes me. Why should I like myself? And God says, I want to show you that you're amazing. I want to show you what Christ can do in you. The hope of people are looking for hope. And how do they see hope? By looking at what Christ has done in us. You say, how in the world did that happen? Do you know how awful and wretched? Yes, but look at what God has done. And we could give you testimony after testimony of some of the most wretched, horrible people. And you don't have to go far. You can look in the Bible. Can God use a murderer? Well, he used Moses. He used Paul. Can he use a liar? Yeah. Find them in the Bible. Can he use an adulterer? Yeah. You understand? Some of the most hopeless people, God turned around and used them as a hope of what Christ has done. This is what God is trying to do. He's trying to make us not so that way we're finally useful up in heaven. He wants to do something in our life now for the purpose of telling a lost world, a world without hope, there is that God can change you into something. Look at what he's done for me. And by the way, it was not me. I did not make myself this. God made me this. And God can make you. It wasn't a force of my will. It was by his great will that he did this. Notice again verse 28. Whom we preach warning every man. This is soul winning by the way. And teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. You know what God wants to do? He wants to turn us into a vessel so that way we have the same heart that Christ has. That we go out and say, you know what? You're an awful wretched sinner and you're useless. Let me show you what God can do with you. God, here's one for you to change. And God could do it. I'm going to go find another one. Man, you're, come here. And God could do a work. And by the way, it's not me working on them. God can work on every single person. God has no desire for us to be a trophy on his mantle with no work being involved. He wants to work in our life now so we can be a hope to others that if God could do something as something as awful in my life, or as awful as me, this awful lumpy clay, he could do something in their life. It doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what the background is. God could do it with every single person. 
And he has given us the task to go find them and bring them to God and say, God, see what you can do with that. God, (laughs) see what you can do with that. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter who they are. God can do something with that. Every single one of them. That's the wonderful God that we have. Oh, what an amazing God. Notice again as it finishes up in verse 29. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, that worketh in me mightily. God is doing a work in you. He's doing a great work. And the same work that he's putting in you, he wants you to put that same work in reaching others. This is the process here. This is the progress here. He's not just looking for one trophy. He's looking for them all. He wants to reach them all. This is the process that we have. So, which part are you at? Maybe you're at the first part where you say, I don't know Jesus is my Savior. You talk about being hopeless and you know what? I'm a challenge to God. (laughs) I don't know what he could do with me. What you need to do is turn yourself over to God. Just surrender yourself. If you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, go to him and say, Lord, I want you to forgive me of all of my sins. That's the very first thing. I need to start off with being saved from my sins. Maybe you are saved, but you say, you know what? My life is worthless. I'm worthless. My God, let's see if you're up to the challenge. And surrender yourself to God tonight. And say, God, I'm going to put you. You see if you can make me a trophy. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Surrender yourself. God, I give you permission to make something of my life. I dare you to make a trophy out of me. And see if he doesn't. For those of you who are in the process of sanctification, let me remind you, how does it work? Surrendering to God's word. Being obedient to God's word. Not just being obedient. Look to be obedient. God, tell me what to do next. Tell me what to do next. I'm anticipating. I'm, you show me what to do. The more surrendered you are, the easier it is for God to make you. Have you ever made pottery? We all did it when we were kids. Now, out in the South, we have nice clay out in the dirt. But it's all lumpy and moldy and <laughs> rocks in it and stuff. And so if you go outside and grab some clay, you take it out and you start working on it. And then you find yourself, you got to start putting some rocks out. You got to start getting some of the weeds out and you work on it and you kind of beat it up some and then you roll it out. You remember rolling it and just getting it and you're working on it to make it moldable. You have to make it, you can't just start making the vessel right away. You have to work with the clay. You have to get it so that way it's soft and it's moldable. And then it gets up on the wheel and you put it up on the wheel and you keep adding water. That's the key if you remember that. And keep adding water to it. And it keeps being soft. And then you put it on the wheel. It starts spinning. And you're able to start shaping it. You start work on the inside. And you keep adding water to it to keep it soft and moldable. And you keep working on it. But at any time, if that pot says, you know what? Forget this. And tries to jump off the wheel. It's going to mess it up. God says, as long as you stay moldable, I can make you. And so 
keeps putting water on it, keeps molding it. He keeps moving it, keeps it soft in his hands. That process is so important. Why not to sit on God's shelf, but maybe you're on the last part that God has been making you. You're starting to be at the place where God's changing you. Let me tell you, he now wants you to go out and find someone as wretched and horrible as you used to be and bring them in. And let God start working on them. This is the hope. This is the process. This is what God is doing in our life. For the ultimate purpose. That he may present us. Before God. Faultless. And with exceeding joy. Where are you at? Now we also combine this. As we're observing the Lord's Supper tonight. This process of sanctification. Is all about. The, uh, the Lord's Supper. Why do we observe the Lord's Supper? It's a time for us to examine ourselves. What are we examine? Are you moldable? Are you soft in God's hands? Can God mold you? Maybe you're not even on the wheel and say, I don't want any of that. This is a time for you to examine yourself. Are you allowing God to make you a vessel? Are you allowing him to make you something that's amazing? For the idea of the Lord's Supper, this is the time we examine our own hearts. So in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And I invite you to respond. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. I invite you to respond. Maybe you've never surrendered yourself to allow God to start working on you in the first place. I invite you to respond. Maybe some of you are on the wheel and you understand, you know what? I haven't really been as obedient as I could be. I invite you to come and respond. Maybe some of you are not understanding why is God making you in the first place? To go find others that don't have hope and to bring them in. Maybe you need, I'm inviting you to come and respond. Where are you at in this process of sanctification? Where are you at for God to make you something that not only gives him much joy, but something that is usable in the hands of God? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.